Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is season 5, episode 34 of this daily study podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again today as we continue with our study of this week's Come Follow Me materials, or I should say really begin our study of this week's Come Follow Me materials, uh, looking at uh, John chapters 2 to chapter 4 in the week of February the 6th to February the the 12th. Uh, and today we're going to start in John chapter 2, uh, looking at this uh, wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. Now, uh, we have here a number of things to pull out from this um, very interesting um, experience, which is only recorded in the Gospel of John. Remember, just over 90% of John is unique to the Gospel of John. So we'll be dipping in and out of here quite often. And also with this, uh, in terms of chronology, this actually takes place as kind of the first miracle or the first um, thing that Jesus does uh, as part of his mir- miraculous ministry um, with the people. Obviously, last week we kind of touched on a few miracles that he did, but those will have happened afterwards, which is why I think they're going to be looked at later. But I wanted to just make sure we cover all the chapters and all the events in each of the chapters. So this is kind of the, the start of um, where we see or we have recorded um, experience of what the Saviour did uh, in terms of miracles in his work. Uh, it says in verse 1, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Um, the third day meaning probably the third day of the week, uh, which to um, the Jewish people the, the week started on Sunday, because of course their Sabbath was the Saturday, so meaning this was like the Tuesday. And this uh, makes sense uh, with the fact that uh, in Jewish tradition, Weddings and uh, often took place on a Tuesday uh, or on the third day, because if you go back to the Genesis account um, of the creation, the third day is um, a day where it's been it's blessed twice or seen as good twice, uh, and so that's kind of where that tradition came from, which is quite interesting. Um, but anyway, going on to this marriage, they have this problem where they run out of wine, and it seems that Mary, mother Jesus's mother. Um, not mentioned by name, interestingly, but referred to as the mother of Jesus, um, is involved in this kind of um, wedding feast in the fact that she comes to him with this problem. And um, it seems that, you know, she's expecting or has faith that Jesus is going to do something about this, whether it be a miraculous manifestation that he solves the problem or whether... Perhaps he is just asking because he can maybe do something about it. We're not 100% sure why she comes to him, to Jesus, and asks or gives the problem of that they have no wine. But Jesus' response obviously does kind of raise some questions about why he responds in this way. He says in the King James Version of the text, Jesus saith unto her in verse 4, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, there's a couple of things I want to address there with this response from the Saviour. Um, first of all, the use of the word woman um, is um, to be addressed here, because I suppose if someone in today's world called someone woman, um, like <laughs> it would be a bit disrespectful. Uh, in, the, in, in that t- tradition, in those times, uh, this word uh, of, of woman, which is translated from the Greek of gune, um, is just simply a, a word um, which is used to refer to a term of an endearment in some places in fact very often uh, 92 times in fact in the in the um, scriptures it's used uh, for, to replace the word wife now obviously he's not saying wife but it's kind of just showing that this is not a 
a uh, derogatory term that the saviour is using, but just simply um, a word to address his mother, um, which um, is one point. But obviously, uh, the fact that he says, uh, what have I to do with thee? And I'll be honest, <laughs> the, uh, the some of the newer translations makes this sound even more harsh. Um, in the English Standard Version, for example, it says, And Jesus said, unto, said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Um, and in the New International Version, um, Jesus replied, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. So even with more kind of up-to-date trans translations, it does sound fairly harsh. But we, of course, we have the Joseph Smith translation, which gives us a deeper insight and meaning to this which I think is really valuable to have a look at. It says, Woman, what wilt thou have me to do for thee? That will I do, for mine hour is not yet come. Rather than saying, well, this, this, you know, I'm not going to do it, do anything. My time isn't yet. Instead, it's more, well, my time to do my work is not yet, so I can do something for you, um, which, you know, sits a lot and resonates more of a, of a compassionate uh, uh, tone from the saviour. Um, so he offers his help. Because then, of course, you know, it also makes more sense that that would be what he meant by that phrase, because then the next verse says, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it, which suggests that, you know, from this response, Mary has the impression that Jesus is going to help. So, you know, not only does it make more sense to me on, a, on an ethical and moral level that the Saviour would respond more in that way with the Joseph Smith translation version, but also it makes more sense with what happens next in the actual text. Um, and what I love about this is that um, the, is Mary's reaction, um, inviting the servants to come and to listen to Jesus and whatever he said to them to do it. As such absolute faith uh, by by his mother there. Sterling W. Sell said this, quote, One of the most inspiring lines in all of the scripture was spoken by the mother of Jesus at the marriage of the Feast of Cana. What an inspiring motto that would make for our individual lives. Or suppose that in feeling we go with him onto the, into the garden of Gethsemane while under the burden of our sins he sweat great drops of blood at every pore. Or we might go and stand with uncovered heads and contrite hearts before the uplifted cross upon that barren Judean hill while, his thorn, while this thorn-crowned sufferer paid the last full measure of the price of our redemption. How our appreciation would be increased and our lives sanctified by a sympathetic reliving of these great events which all took place in our interest. We must not blame the people of that day alone for putting Jesus to death on the cross. We must also bear our shame, our, our share of guilt. Close quote. Um, this is, you know, just really important and a very um, meaningful reminder about this phrase that she had complete faith in him uh, and that um, she invited the servants to do the same. And we, like Mary, must also um, invite others to follow every word of the Saviour, uh, to enlist him into our lives and to follow the direction that he gives us. Um, so, of course, then we go into this um, experience of the um, the water into wine, and we're not going to finish covering it all today because there's quite a few things here to consider. But what I do want to point out is that in verse 6 it says that these water pots uh, was in verse six it says were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Now, um, in terms of a firkin, we're talking a number of gallons here, uh, and also um, these water pots weren't just you know any ordinary water. This was the water that people who, after travelling miles and miles upon um, kind of desert and 
dirty um, paths, they come and they cleanse themselves ritually and physically in this water, which of course now will be absolutely filthy. So we're not just talking, you know, just any regular water, we're talking pretty dirty water. Um, Jesus told them to fill them. And then in verse 8, it says, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast and they bear it. Now, Jesus didn't say, I've turned it to wine, you can now pour it. He just told them to pour this water that is absolutely filthy into these containers and to give it to the governor of the feast. <laughs> so um, I wonder what these people were thinking. And I wonder at what point they realized a miracle had taken place. Did they, were they able to look in the pot and see it had changed to wine before they poured it? Or did it literally change to wine as they poured it? Because I think that that small detail, which we're not given, would tell us a lot about the faith of these people. Do we have that faith, even if at the very moment that Jesus says, pour this into the governor of the wine's goblet, and we see dirty water as we pour it, would we have the faith to still do that? I think that's a really fascinating insight and question to consider, to know about how what true faith is in the Saviour. We are going to have to stop there, so we'll kind of finish off that little uh, experience tomorrow. Um, but yeah, just a really in, in interesting thought to consider about when this would have actually happened uh, in terms of this miracle and uh, the faith that the servant showed on the word of, the, of Jesus's mother, who had great faith in him as well. Thank you so much for listening uh, today and until we meet again.